For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to The Dirt Show. Um, the question I'm asked very frequently these days, literally, as I walk down the street, a guy stopped me the other day on a bike, cut in front of me and said, I have to ask you a question. And other people have asked me the same question. Would you defend President Biden if he were impeached? Would you go to the Senate and defend him the way you defended President Trump? And my answer, as often it is, is it depends. It depends on what he was impeached for. You know that my view is that a president cannot be impeached unless he is charged with substantial evidence backing it up with treason. Nobody is suggesting that. Bribery. People suggest that. Or other high crimes and misdemeanors, by which I mean criminal-type behavior akin to treason and bribery, like extortion, but not corruption or uh, obstruction or abuse of power. Those are the kinds of non-constitutional offenses that President Trump, uh, former President Trump, was charged with and why I defended him. Remember when I defended him, I didn't, I was not responsible for the facts. I didn't argue that he didn't do this or that in Ukraine. What I argued was the charges themselves were unconstitutional. It was like I was making a motion to dismiss a criminal case on the ground that the allegations did not constitute a crime. That's what I did for Trump. That's what I would do uh, for um, for President um, um, Biden. Now, <clears throat> at the moment, it looks like they are looking into the possibility of charging him with some species of bribery. But to charge him with that, they'd need evidence. They'd need evidence that he actually took money. Uh, certainly, they're not charging him with paying a bribe. They would charge him with his son receiving a bribe and him being complicit in the bribery. Now, we know there is already evidence that um, Hunter Biden got money he certainly didn't deserve based on his education. Yes, he went to Yale Law School. I know, I know, and so did I. But um, nobody is going to pay him, uh, if his name weren't Biden, the kind of money he got from China, Ukraine, and other, other sources. So we know that the people who paid him the money expected him to um, sell them access to his father. We know that he didn't mislead them into saying, well, I'm not, he didn't, I'm not another, let me put it this way. He didn't say to them, no, I'll take the money, but I won't give you access to buy. They wouldn't have given him the money. Obviously he at least created the impression that he would be giving them access. Now, the question is, did he give them access? And is that enough 
there are so many questions that revolve around um, the impeachment of a of a sitting president. Number one, in my interpretation of the Constitution, I know there are some who interpret it differently, but in my interpretation of the Constitution, the impeachable offense has to occur during his presidency, not the vice presidency, not when he was in the Senate, but when he was president of the United States. That means over the last um, three years, two years and and 11 months um, from the time he was president. Um, Most of the allegations against him don't fit into that uh, time period. They fit into the time when he was either the vice president, that's the Ukraine uh, situation, China situation, or when he was in the Senate, there was a Washington Post report talking about uh, money being paid by lawyers in the tobacco industry to try to get uh, settlements and that kind of thing. Uh, that would have occurred when he was in the Senate. I'm 100% sure that you can't be impeached for high crimes and misdemeanors while you were a senator. Um, but what about when you're vice president? We don't know. There's no case. I've read every word of the Constitutional Convention dealing with um, um, impeachment. Obviously, I did when I represented President Trump on the floor of the Senate. I had to read every single word. And um, there's not a word about whether or not a president can be impeached for actions he took while uh, vice president. I do think it's possible that a president could be impeached if he committed bribery or high crime and misdemeanor in becoming, in the process of becoming president, for example, if he bribed electors or uh, took bribes from people in anticipation. Um, Remember that Spiro Agnew resigned from the vice presidency for taking bribes when he was the governor of Maryland. But if I remember correctly, some of the money was actually paid to him while he was serving as vice president. So that's not as clear a case. And of course, he wasn't impeached. He resigned. So that doesn't serve quite as a uh, precedent, but um, uh, there are there are no precedents, so we don't know whether or not a president can be impeached for allegedly committing impeachable offenses when he was uh, not the, the the president of the United States. Also, the the Democrats and the Republicans, you know, are making the same mistakes. They. They, they are playing tit for tat. When I represented President Trump, I made a prediction publicly. I wrote it and I said it, that this is the beginning of a tit for tat um, situation where the next Democrat who's elected president is going to be impeached. And we know that Professor Lawrence Tribe s- said that he wanted to impeach President Trump the day he got inaugurated. And we know that Congresswoman Green said the same thing about President Biden. She said he, he should be impeached on the day he was inaugurated before either of them had an opportunity to commit impeachable offenses. So we know that Alexander Hamilton's nightmare, he said the worst and the most dangerous thing is for impeachment to turn on who has more votes uh, and on partisan considerations. And, and we're seeing that happening uh, uh, right now. So the short answer is, I would apply exactly the same standards in deciding whether to represent um, the President Biden as I applied to the decision to represent President Trump. I wouldn't make as many enemies if I defended President Biden, certainly among my liberal friends and family, 
probably make a lot of enemies among you know, Republicans and uh, expect that. Look, my job has been for the last 60 years to make enemies the right kind of enemies and always to try to be on the side of principle, which always means you're going to make enemies because there are very few people who really care about principle. Most people care about their side winning. And so if you represent the other side and help the other side win, nobody's going to like you on, on, on that side. So that's part of the problem of being a principled constitutional lawyer, a principled uh, defense lawyer. Do I think there's an impeachable case against um, against President Biden? There's smoke. There's smoke. Um, there's no question that uh, Hunter Biden uh, took money that he was not entitled to and that the people who gave him the money thought he was going to give them access. We know that. What we don't know is whether there's a smoking gun or a smoking cigarette butt. That is just a tiny little thing. Um, a smoking cigarette butt wouldn't rise to the level of high crime. And misdemeanor, a smoking gun, might very well. And so there should be an investigation. Who should conduct it? Not the House Judiciary Committee. I am opposed to what the House did, uh, convening an investigation. Um, I don't think there's enough there to start a formal investigation. It's not necessary. Congress has essentially the same power without an impeachment inquiry being uh, voted. And um, uh, my preference, as you know, because I've said it on the show um, over and over again, has been for there to be a special counsel appointed to investigate any alleged relationship between Hunter Biden and, and, and President Biden involving the payment of, of money. People say to me, poo poo, no, you can't get an independent, neutral, objective uh, special counsel anymore. Everybody's partisan. No, that's not true. I mean, uh, I've mentioned some names, Mike Mukasey, who's the former attorney general of the United States, uh, Louis Free, uh, the former head of the FBI and a former federal judge, uh, David Souter, uh, the former justice of the Supreme Court. Uh, there are many, many people, former presidents of universities, Stephen Trachtenberg of uh, 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 George Washington University. These are people whose Neutrality uh, is not questioned and whose integrity is above reproach. Uh, these are people who are in the mold of Archibald Cox uh, and Robert Fisk. Archibald Cox was appointed, of course, to investigate Richard Nixon, then he was fired. Uh, and that's a good sign. He was fired by Robert Bork. Um, and then um, there's Robert Fisk, who was appointed to investigate Bill Clinton in, in Whitewater. And Nobody challenged their credentials, even in an age of high partisanship, uh, which certainly was true during the Nixon and, 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 and Clinton administration. Uh, there are people above partisanship. And so, uh, you know, let's assume that the Republican House Judiciary Committee comes up with what they believe is evidence of uh, Joe Biden's uh, impeachable offense. Nobody's going to believe them. No Democrat's going to believe them. They're going to say it was Republican partisan justice. Or if the, you know, uh, the Democrats were to come up with uh, stuff uh, uh, exculpating him, they're not going to believe him. Uh, nobody believes partisans, and you shouldn't. Because in partisan politics and partisan administration of justice, you start out with the result. Biden's guilty if you're a uh, a Republican, Biden's innocent, if you're a Democrat, that's the result. And then you move toward reaching that result, but nobody believes uh, in the process. And, and, and so 
it has doesn't have integrity and it doesn't have uh, any kind of a credibility. And so, um, what you what you do need, and what uh, I, I was hoping right from the beginning, the the um, Justice Department would do would be to ask around and get a list of very, very distinguished people and go through that list of distinguished people and ask them whether they would be willing to serve in this very difficult capacity. And it's very difficult. Look what happened to um, uh, previous um, people who served in that role. They were you know, obviously so criticized, Ken Starr, probably would have been on the Supreme Court had he not accepted the role of, of special counsel against Clinton. And uh, it made it impossible for him to become a justice uh, or, or the attorney general when he served in that role because he was so uh, attacked. I know I was one of the people who attacked him. I wrote a book called Sexual McCarthyism, and it was about, obviously, uh, what he did, we became friends, interestingly enough, after the impeachment and remained friends until he died. He was really a nice man, a great lawyer and a, a great American. And he sacrificed his own career to become special counsel. And I suspect some of the people I've mentioned, um, most of them were at the end of their careers or near the end of their careers, wouldn't take on the job. But there are probably other people, I don't know who they are, who would take on the job. And then they would have to look very hard at for example, there's a check for around $200,000 and uh, it's marked loan repayment. Oh, but you know, loan repayments are often as covers for bribes. We know that. And so one would have to go beyond the writing on the check and look hard into the loan, the interest that was paid, when the loan was made, what documentation of the loan there was. Uh, um, these are all things that could be, could be looked into. Um, there would also be the investigation would go beyond the borders of the United States. You'd have to go and investigate the people who paid the money and interview them and ask them what they anticipated and what they were told. And was there ever any direct conversations um, with um, uh, President Biden? I doubt that there was, but uh, you have to see where the evidence leads. Um, right now, I would say there's something close to akin to or a probable cause that would allow a search, but not nearly enough to bring a criminal prosecution that would have to prove its case beyond a reasonable doubt. I don't even think the standard of clear and convincing evidence or a preponderance of the evidence has been met as to the elements of bribery, extortion, any of the other alleged high crimes committed while he was president against um, against uh, President Biden. But, but you know, as a criminal defense lawyer, as a constitutional lawyer, I take on uh, cases that uh, involve um, important issues of criminal law, of constitutional law. And so the answer to the question is yes, I would probably um, defend President uh, Biden. Uh, on the legal issues, the constitutional issues, not necessarily on the factual issues. That's not where my forte is. I'm pretty good at it, but um, uh, my preference is to defend as I defended President Trump purely, purely on the on the constitutional issues. Now, 
if he were to be impeached, I don't think he's going to be impeached, but there's a possibility. Remember, all impeachment requires is a partisan vote of the uh, Republicans. There are enough Republicans today, if all of them voted for impeachment, to impeach him. Now, impeachment is just an indictment. But if he were to be impeached, it would not be the dumbest thing in the world for him to ask me to uh, defend him. Having the man who defended President Trump defend President Biden would maybe give some credibility to uh, the defense. Um, again, I don't know whether I would accept. I'm, I'm already the oldest person in American history ever to defend the president in an impeachment before the Senate. Um, but that was already couple of years ago. So I'd be much older at, at this point. Um, I still think I'd be uh, able to do it and mount a, a good defense. But um, I don't think he would ask. I think his his Democratic uh, 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 functionaries would say, ah, no, he's easy. Defend the Trump. You can't defend you. That, that's not a smart thing. Um, some of the greatest uh, lawyers in history have defended People of the opposite uh, of the opposite party, uh, Ed Bennett Williams, uh, did that frequently. Um, he was um, a very active Democrat, and he defended many Republicans. He was very anti-communist. He defended communists. He was uh, very Catholic, and he defended atheists. So um, um, you defend people based on the principles and based on the law, not uh, necessarily based on the. Um, uh, party that uh, you uh, uh, side with. So, yep, yep, the answer is probably A, I would probably defend him. B, I would probably not be asked to defend him in front of the Senate. And C, whether asked to defend him or not, I would defend him in the court of public opinion if I believed that either the charged impeachment defense was not consistent with the limited constitutional criteria, treason, bribery, other crimes and misdemeanors, or even if it was, even if you were charged, for example, with bribery or extortion, I would myself at least look at the evidence uh, and see whether or not I believe there was substantial evidence to support the charge. And if there was not, I would clearly defend him in the court of public opinion. So that's my answer. And I'm sure many of you will object to that. And so I'd be interested in getting your letters. In the meantime, let's turn to other letters. Oh, this is a nice one. I just received the book, obviously, War Against the Jews, um, today. Started reading it, and it is beautifully written. I'm very glad that I purchased it. Well, I'm glad it's beautifully written. I wrote it very fast, very fast. But um, um you know, I'm a fast writer. I, I wasn't always. When I started out teaching at Harvard Law School, I didn't have a writer's block, but, um, you know, I was afraid that if I wrote, people would know that I wasn't as smart as they thought I was. That's, you know, people have that all the time. And so I was a little hesitant to put things down in writing. And then I, uh, once I realized that didn't matter, I continued to write. And, you know, as you know, I've written now 52 books and over a thousand articles. So um, uh, the librarian, one of the librarians at Harvard said that I had written more words than any professor in Harvard's history. Not necessarily better ones, but more of them. And so that's something to be proud of, perhaps. Okay, uh, more letters. 
what I don't understand is how the executive branch ever gets the authority to dictate these kinds of things to the states. They're, they're talking about abortion pills, um, uh, morning after pills. The FDA and other executive agency obviously play an important uh, practice role, practical role in government. I can't help but wonder whether Madison <laughs> would be appalled at the way in which federalism has been bastardized. Of course he would be. And there is much too much power in administrative agencies today. It is a fourth branch of government. Uh, the law, and I think the Supreme Court will soon enforce that law, is that executive agencies have to be specifically mandated by Congress to do the job they're doing. They are really part of the three branches of government. They are part of the executive, but the role they play is circumscribed by the legislature. And if the legislature doesn't authorize it specifically, the Supreme Court is think is going to hold. And it's already adumbrated some of that in prior holdings. Um, they're going to say, no, you, you, you don't have that power. Hey, Alan, I have a hypothetical question related to shouting fire in a theater. I imagine this idea extends to someone also screaming, they have a gun at a rally. Yeah, I think it probably does uh, do that. Um, or somebody pointing out, now, that's speech, perhaps, but it wouldn't be constitutionally protected speech because it would constitute, in effect, a, a, a kind of incitement. You might say it's not speech. It's just, again, a clang sign. Let's just, again, if somebody had a little machine that went off, if you press the button, it says, duck, he has a gun. That wouldn't be protected speech. Okay. So do you think it would extend to someone screaming Nazi at a rally when the Nazis typically get attacked on site? It seems like that fulfills the idea of appealing to someone's uh, innate fears with that rise to incitement. I think the answer to that is no. Um, when you yell Nazi at somebody, that actually happened to me, my father, and my brother uh, when we were teenagers, I think maybe in our early 20s. We're in a synagogue, and there was a man sitting on my, I was sitting on one side, my brother on the other, my father in the middle. There was a guy next to me, and there was a guy next to my brother on the other side. And the guy next to my brother started looking at the guy next to me, looking at him, looking at him. I was watching him, looking at him. Suddenly, he yelled out an animalistic shriek, and he yelled out, Capo, Capo. This man had seen this other Jewish man who had served as a capo to the Nazis uh, during the Holocaust. He leaped over my brother, my father, and me and started strangling this guy. The other guy ran out and was never seen again in the neighborhood. Um, yeah, so capo is like Nazi. But I think it's probably protected speech. Look, these are hard questions. That's why I teach them. <clears throat> closed sessions, this is talking about Hunter Biden not wanting to be in a closed session allows for lengthy questioning, whereas public sessions are limited to five-minute questioning, which are often lengthy propaganda sessions. I agree with that, but that misses the point of what Hunter Biden was calling for. He was saying he'd be happy to answer long questions, deposition, but let it be public. He wasn't saying it had to be the kind of public hearing that we have all the time um, with senators, congressmen being limited to five minutes and making oftentimes really ignorant speeches. Uh, 
agree with your assessment, but I don't think that's what Hunter Biden was asking for. I think he was just asking that the deposition session, which would could be unlimited time period, um, be be uh, made uh, live and public. And you know that, as I said, I thought that argument prevailed in the court of public opinion, but wouldn't prevail uh, necessarily in the court of law. Uh, this is one it starts out by saying. Great hair in today's show. I don't know. Great hair. I got a short haircut when I came down to Florida. Professor Dershowitz says, I am boringly consistent. I believe in principles. So why has he not been critical of Elon Musk, who has allowed anti-Semitism on his platform and referred to an anti-Semitic tweet as the actual truth? This does not seem consistent or principled. Well, you're half right. Um, allowing anti-Semitic screeds on his um on x uh, i i approve of i think it would be best to have x not have rules of what can be said and what can't be said i do think uh, a marketplace of ideas um should be open at least there should be some opportunity for people to have a completely open marketplace of ideas so i wouldn't be whether i agree with it or not, i wouldn't be critical of elon musk for allowing that that's that's an approach to free speech that I find somewhat I'm somewhat sympathetic to. The second one, you're absolutely right. Uh, when he tweeted, it's the actual truth to an anti-Semitic tweet, uh, he was wrong. And I do criticize him and I do um, attack him for that. And I want to make it clear if Elon Musk is watching my, my, my podcast, don't do that. That's wrong. And uh, that deserves a criticism and condemnation. So I join in the legitimate criticism that was leveled at you for doing that. Here's one. What does God think of abortion? We'll never know. Um, the Bible um, doesn't prohibit abortion. It does say that if a man kicks a woman and thereby causes an involuntary abortion, kills the fetus, it is not murder. He has to pay a penalty, but it's not murder. But anybody who thinks they know what God says, no, you don't. You don't know what God says, especially when there's nothing explicit. I think, all right, I can argue God says thou shalt not kill. But what does that mean? Obviously, he left it to us to decide. Uh, what that means, does it mean you can kill in self-defense? Well, we say yes, the Quakers say no. Does it mean you can have wars? We say yes. The Catholic Church for years has had a concept of, of just war. Some wars, yes. Some wars, uh, uh, no. Um, can you execute people? The Bible says yes. You can't kill, but you can execute. So, you know, even the Ten Commandments doesn't give us God's specific answer to any of these questions. Um, if you believe in God, I think you believe in a God that left it to human beings to decide their own fate. Uh, he gave them intelligence. He gave them the ability to decide. He gave them a consciousness. And he created a system of law enforcement which make people pay consequences uh, for their um, uh, failure to abide by, by man-made rules which may be divinely inspired. But leave that up to you. But uh, but I don't know what God thinks of of abortion. Um, I would hope he would say it would be okay to save the life of uh, of a sick woman. But 
I'll never know. Okay. Final question just deals with the Harvard president and the charges of uh, plagiarism against uh, her. Um, as I think I've mentioned before, there are four or five different types of charges. Some of them are just miscitations or a failure to put in quotation marks words that are quoted, but they were cited. But there's one very damning case, and there's a Wall Street Journal article about it today, uh, by the woman who claimed she was plagiarized by President Gay. And she said she came up with all these ideas, and President Gay borrowed them without attribution, without a citation, without mentioning her name, and that she was hurt. Her career was hurt by that because careers in academia are often measured by how often you're cited. And if you're not cited, if you came up with a great idea that was borrowed and not cited, somebody's actually been harmed. So I would expect that based on the Wall Street Journal article, Harvard should appoint not the board, not the corporation, they're insiders, they're the people who picked her, an outside public group of people who should look into this and issue a public report, not through the corporation, but independently as to this specific charge of plagiarism. I think the public has the right to an independent evaluation. And if Harvard doesn't do it, it can still be done by others, by outsiders. But the important point is to get a credible, nonpartisan person to do that a report. When I was accused by you know, obviously an anti-Semite, of um, plagiarizing my book, The Case for Israel, the East. They said the Mossad wrote it. Fortunately, I read everything by hand and I was able to show I read everything. I immediately asked for an outside evaluation. The dean of Harvard Law School, her name was Elena Kagan. She's now a justice of the Supreme Court, appointed the former president of Harvard, Derek Bach, the former dean of the law school, uh, neither of them were friends of mine at all. They did a thorough investigation and said it was absolutely false. There was nothing to it. I did absolutely nothing wrong. And uh, a year later, I got an award for uh, writing. So, um, you know, I was cleared completely and completely vindicated from a false charge. And the man who made the false charge had to remove it from his book. And eventually he was denied uh, tenure at a university in part for making the false charge against me. So justice prevailed. I want justice to prevail in the in the gay case too. I want to know whether or not she did or did not commit a plagiarism. Uh, we'll see what happens. See you tomorrow. Tax day is coming. Oh no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.